Hello, uh, my name is Henry Naylor. Uh, I'm a playwright from the UK. We've seen a number of your plays on in the, in the Fringe. Uh, the first one I saw was Angel back in 2017, and then we saw Borders and uh, The Games. Yeah. Um, now, Angel and Borders both dealt with questions of the Middle East and relationships to Western Europe. Yeah. And this seems to be a, a continuing theme of, of your plays, as indeed uh, I think Knights also continues that. Can you tell us a bit about Knights? Yeah, um, it, it does continue that. Um, for the simple reason, that uh, I think, that <laughs> I find it frustrating. I want to write about something else, but nobody, uh, in certainly in the UK anyway, in the drama scene, really seems to be engaging with the West's relationship with uh, the, the Middle East, and it seems to be such a big news story. And I don't think even I don't think the journalists are covering it particularly well. I mean, I think one of the things that happens in the nights, who talk about how journalists failed to cover what was going on uh, in in the Syrian conflict, mainly because, understandably, editors were worried that their journalists were going to get hurt or killed if they were kidnapped by ISIS so there wasn't a lot of accurate coverage of what was going on out there so I think as a playwright I think I have a duty to try and bring those issues into the public domain so that's why I wrote The Knights it really talks about what the West did when they occupied Iraq uh, in it there's a character who's got PTSD and he was a, an abusive soldier who actually looked after uh, prisoners of war in a, in a prison camp and carried out atrocities on them in, a, in Ab- an Abu Ghraib style way and so uh, he's one character and the other character is a western journalist uh, and she is very very uh, outspokenly against the return of jihadi brides because one of her friends was executed by ISIS so um, it deals with themes of revenge uh, and deals with what is the West? Are we, uh, are we a liberal democracy who believes in its system of justice or are we becoming repressive and brutal like um, we've seen in Abu Ghraib and in, in, in the case of Britain actually our Home Secretary refused to let jihadi brides come back to the UK and has been denying them citizenship. We've had a, a similar problem in Australia. Yeah, is that right? Is that right? It, it does seem to be a bit of a global theme and I think it troubles me because... If the West is going to, in inverted commas, win this war on terror, I think we have to stay true to our values because really what initiated it was bin Laden saying, um, trying to undermine those values. And if we undermine them ourselves by abandoning the rule of justice and the rule of law that we've established over centuries, by denying people their, their human rights, then we're handing... The, the, the fundamentalist victory. It seems a common theme to many of these plays is, is the individual up against the, the state or yes. the or large government groups and stuff. Very much. Uh, and you've, you've gotten typically individuals who are willing to fight for, for what they believe in. Yes. Um, I, I think that one of the problems, I think, of the, of the news coverage of, of the war on terror is we see what big groups of people do. And sometimes it's very hard as, as a, an individual to identify with them. I think it's much better to try and understand a group of people by dealing with an individual story. Um, so, like, for instance, when I did the play Angel, which is a story about the Kurdish freedom fighters battle against ISIS in the, in the, the north of Syria, that was very much uh, dealing with showing the conflict through uh, one person's eyes on the ground. And I think that's more effective than sort of saying a big statistic like, I don't know a million people are fighting in the north that doesn't mean anything to me if i can care about a character one and one individual there then maybe i'll care about them all much more and that's what i'm trying to do with my work is trying to provide a gateway for people to understand the issues i think 
most of your plays seem to have a, a focus on strong women. Um, now, was this a, a, a specific inspiration? Was there someone who inspired you to write about this, or is it just the opportunity to use good talent? I've got a lot of strong women in my life. I mean, uh, I, and I think also when I first started writing plays, I was very keen not to put myself in the plays because um, I, I think as an actor I'm okay, but I can only really act myself. And so to stop myself from being tempted to act in one of my own plays, uh, I deliberately uh, wrote parts of people that I couldn't possibly play. Uh, and so um, that's why I've written a lot of parts of women. Also, I think, though, just the way... It, you, you, know, you know, the theatre industry is still very sexist in the UK. I can get some of the best actors in London to do my pieces because there aren't enough good parts of women. Uh, and there are a lot of brilliant actresses out there who are desperate for a big, meaty part to, to get their teeth into. And there aren't the parts available still now. And so if I write parts of women, I can get a, a higher quality of performer, I think. Yeah, I certainly thought uh, the actress in uh, The Angel was just stunningly brilliant. Oh, yeah, Vita, uh, that, that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What, Russian-born and uh, English-trained or something, was it? Yes, you are. You're, yeah, uh, Russian-German. And she was an uh, uh, absolutely phenomenal performer, and she's doing very well at the moment. I think she's getting various parts in TV and... And things at home, but um, yeah, she had a real intensity about her, and, and sort of, she's somebody that sort of like when she was upset, you would see the tears flow, and you would see sort of her, when she got really impassioned, things like her sinuses would go out of control, and and sort of like she produced loads of snot, and a, a phenomenal performer, just has a, a gripping intensity, and, I, and and many ways I've worked with her many times, and. She's so powerful on stage. She's often better suited for doing monologues because, like, there's a danger that she can be so powerful. It's difficult for, her, for other actors to live with her. One of the things about the play is, that is minimal staging. Now, is that a response to the fringe conditions or, or is it actually just a good <laughs> format for intimate theatre? I think it's a bit of both, actually. I mean, so, certainly with um, fringe theatre, it is so expensive to tour shows internationally. And so um, with my stuff, it tends to be two or three actors one, two or three, uh, and there tends to be minimal set. And in the nights, literally, we've got three shop mannequins uh, and some crates, and that's your set. You know, because transporting anything would be just too cost prohibitive. Uh, and so, you know, deliberately using props you can pick up in any country, um, which are hopefully not very expensive. And so, so that, that's a choice. But also, for me, that practical consideration has created a, a sort of... Uh, almost an artistic necessity for me. I think all that, that artists really need to do to tell a story is have a good director, a good script, uh, and a good actor. And that's all you need to tell a story. I think if there's a danger that sort of uh, in theatre we can get lost in sets and costumes and huge casts, and I think sort of there is something magical about seeing one person with nothing else creating a whole world for you in front of your eyes. And we're talking about Vita uh, there. It was an epic story with Angel. I think we had 17 different characters in it. Uh, and we had dozens of different locations in which scenes were set. And yet all we had on stage was one actress and a barrel. And to create that world, and to create that world with... with uh, acting and words is there's a bit of magic about that and I think sort of you're really paying for what you get I think also that theatre shouldn't try and be cin at cinema I mean if you are creating big sets you're going for that visual look that cinema has 
And I think we should be trying to provide something different. It should be a unique experience because, after all, we can't compete with the production values of cinema. So what we can, we can compete with is that direct personal contact with a member of the audience. And we can compete by art, basically, by creating pictures with words and by, by um, these incredibly visceral performances. I mean, you can, you know, when Vita, uh, and in this case, uh, we've got Nick and Aoife, who are both phenomenal actors in the night, they're really going for it. You can see the sweat on, coming off them. You can see, you know, spittle flying when they're shouting. And it's a magical experience. And I think that's what we should be striving for in theatre. I've noticed a strong use of monologues. Um, have any of them been produced as radio dramas? Do you know, I've never... I mean, I've, um, Nick, who's in the night, is an incredible voiceover artist. And he's done, uh, I think he's done 60 audio books and some really famous ones. I'm sure if... if uh, yeah, uh, listeners in Australia have been listening for audio books from England. You will have come across his voice. He does Sherlock Holmes. He does uh, a lot of work, the works of Dickens. He's um, a phenomenal actor. And he came up to me and he said, look, this is a radio play uh, uh, as well as a, a theatre show. He said, because you are creating images with the words uh, and you don't need the sets. Uh, and uh, I've never actually really tried to do that. I mean, I've been so... I, I think part of it is... Whenever I write a play, I'm thinking, right, what's the next one? And rather than converting it into different formats. And, and I've been asked to write Angel as a movie. And uh, it's kind of funny for, for me because Angel was an idea I had three years ago. Now I'm sort of thinking in, in different areas. And so going back and treading water again, I kind of think, no, I've got more stories I want to write. So, um, but I don't know. I am writing the film script uh, version. And it's going, you know, I think it's going very well. But... Uh, you know, nonetheless, there's part of me that sort of goes, right, you know, I want to start researching new things, you know. You started out doing a lot of comedy work. Yes. Um, what prompted the shift to drama? Uh, well, it was funny. I got quite disillusioned with comedy at, at one point. I mean, sort of, I, I was doing well with it. I had a double act with a, um, a very good friend of mine from university. Um, we had a, a show on Radio 2, and then I came up with an idea for a TV show, which is about the week's news, and it was 3D CGI animation. And it was kind of revolutionary at its time. We were, we were doing half an hour of topical material a week. Uh, and it was so, such a... Uh, you know, I was working with these incredibly brainy uh, animators. and so we, That was Spitting Images? It was yeah. like... Well, Spitting Images was puppets, but it yeah. was kind of like the next generation of it. It was like doing it as, as 3D, 3D yep. CGI um, cartooning. And we were producing so much animation very quickly that DreamWorks was phoning us up and saying, how the heck are you doing this? We want, we want to know how you're doing it. We had one series, it won all sorts of awards, it got great reviews, and then ITV, the company which made the show, nearly went bankrupt. And so it shut down its comedy department, and overnight we went from being sort of flavour of the month to not having a show. Uh, and I kind of I got very disillusioned at the time. I, I kind of thought... I've done everything they've asked me to do. I've delivered them ratings and, and, and reviews and awards. Uh, and it still got cancelled. And I got kind of a bit, not, not depressed, but certainly very down. And, and sort of for a year or so afterwards, I, was, I tried writing a film script. And, and writing a film script is, is very frustrating because like, you, get, you write a film script and loads of people tell you they like it but no one's giving you any money and it doesn't get made. And sort of, I think, one in 10,000 film scripts get made. So 
uh, and you know, and half Sometimes the time, multiple times. Yeah, and, and half the time that they're, they're not the films that should be made. You know, half the times they're, they're rubbish. You know, to somebody who somehow looked onto a, a pot of cash. But because it's so difficult doing films, I kind of, I kind of spent a year just kicking my heels, and then, and I wanted to get that connection again with the audience. And so I didn't want to go back to stand up. Because the problem with stand-up for me is that it's it's all about individual lines, and I kind of got more. I'm getting. I got more excited about seeing how characters and how people develop, and I got interested in stories and narrative arcs. And stand-up, but of necessity, is a bit anarchic. You want to be able to change your structure very quickly in case you get heckled. If somebody shouts something in the audience, you might have to drop a piece of material, jump five pages in your script, and use material which will shut them up. Uh, and so it's almost anti-structure is, is stand-up, whereas the, the process of telling stories uh, is what I was getting interested in. And so, you know, the film route felt it was very difficult to, to, to get anything going. And I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to prove to myself I could still do it. So I started doing plays. And the weird thing was, I thought, I suddenly realised I was at home. This is what I did. And it, taken me, it, it took me very long in my career to find out. I've been doing okay, you know, with my stand-up and, and doing, with my TV stuff. I've been, been doing well. You know, I'd had shows on, uh, on all the sort of media platforms. But it was just when I did... It just flowed when I started writing plays. And I kind of knew how to do it. Whereas writing comedy, for me anyway, was a struggle and a battle. My wife was a, 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 is a stand-up comedian, very good stand-up comedian. And also seeing how she approached stand-up made me realise that it wasn't my art form because I could see the dedication that she put into it and I could see how naturally it came to her. And it didn't come naturally to me. Whereas with playwriting, I can kind of almost lose myself uh, and it just comes out so quickly. And there's times when I listen back to my words that I've written in my text that I'm surprised. I think, wow, this is really good and I remember how quickly I wrote that you know and and that's so gratifying and it just shows it's a natural thing I think though I've got an unusual process I think I've hit on a process which means I know how, how inverted commas how to do it how to write plays you're more than just a playwright though you're also helping the setup and production of the plays don't you yeah, uh, but again, that's a, that's a sort of cost thing. I, I don't. I really just want to spend my life writing. I, I, it's what I do best. I mean, there's a lot of good producers out there. I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I, I, I kind of feel I'm good at writing plays, uh, and I'm sort of a bit disorganised. <laughs> so when it comes to write producing, I, I'm sort of, you know, I muddle through. But also, I feel it's time wasted when I could be doing something which I'm really good at. So, I don't know, it's more, again, it's a budgetary thing doing fringe theatre. But also, I like things done a certain way. I like my sort of poster to be put up in the right place. I like people to know about the shows. You know, like, for instance, doing this interview now, this is, this is what I think is important for selling a show. So, I kind of like to be hands-on in that perspective. I know what my job is. My job is a playwright, and that's what I do better than, than anything else. And, I, I, and if, you know... I think I, it's, a, it's a cocky and arrogant thing to say, but I think I do it better than quite a few other people. <laughs> mm. The Nights is, what, number five in the Arabian Nightmares sequence? Yes, it is, and I don't, I don't know how many I'm going to write, to be honest. It depends if I've got something new to say. I mean, this time I really did want to say something about the way the West was almost casually ignoring its own values and tossing them away. I mean, I don't agree with what the jihadi brides have done at all. I think um, it's appalling and they should be punished and punished by the rule of law. 
But the way we're punishing them at the moment and taking, denying them their citizenship, that is not what a Western democracy should be doing. We should be obeying international law and we should be respecting it and, and bring them back to our countries and, and punish them the way that we would do it, you know, rather than leaving people in camps in, in Iraq where they're under the mercy of um, Iraqi justice and, and also, you know, jihadi brides and um, fundamentalists are all in the camp together, radicalising each other further. Wouldn't it make more sense to split up the, those groups and sort of try and de-radicalise them? I, I don't know, I can't understand why we're doing it, to be honest. Lack of common sense, perhaps. Well, well, possibly. I do, do think it's very knee-jerk, what we've done. I mean, and, and sort of, we've given into anger rather than into common sense. I think the, the vengeful heart has overruled the considered brain, I think. Finally, what are your favourite plays? Aside from your own. I have to be honest, I don't watch a lot of theatre. I love it. Uh, I've seen some great stuff in London recently. I saw, saw a play called Swive, which was um, a modern play set in the time of uh, Henry VIII. And, stuff. and it was, again, it was sort of monologues and, and people were sort of... You're seeing the psychology of a person. You're sort of like lifting the top of their skull and looking inside, almost. I like that sort of thing. But I'm very, very keen to keep my voice pure. And one of, I went to, to New York recently. We did a show there. And one of the critics didn't like it. And he slagged me off by parodying my style. And it was a very good parody. And it actually made me laugh. I thought, I thought that, was, that was, you know, good. And rather than being offended, actually I was delighted because it showed that I had a, that I'd developed a voice. I think that's what a playwright needs to do. I, I want to have a voice that's unique. I want to have a voice where people pick up a speech from my plays and they go, oh, Henry Naylor wrote that. It should be, the style of writing should be almost as unique as handwriting and painting where you can, you know, you can see a corner of a, a Monet and you know it's done by Monet. Uh, and I, I, I want to be able to do that with my writing. And um, the fact that this critic said that was, was, for me, the greatest compliment he could have paid me, even though he's trying to insult me. <laughs>